Hay dos cosas que son absolutamente ciertas. Abuelita te ama y nunca diría que no a McDonald's. Date un gusto con un Grandma McFlurry en tu orden hoy. Es lo que abuela quisiera. Baratapapa. En McDonald's Participantes por Tiempo Limitado. It's the Geekbox Entertainer Hour, presented by Firehouse Subs, founded by Firemen. With Chris Clark. The 2007 South Carolina class was, at that time, sixth in the country and fourth in the SEC. It's just amazing. West Mitchell. You know, I think if you're South Carolina, you're you're aiming to, to at least be at 50%. Then in theory, you're adding talent, you're getting better, you're putting yourself in a position to compete. And Tyler been a great week for South Carolina on the recruiting front. Still certainly plenty to talk about. On the home of the Gamecocks, 107.5 The Game. And welcome into the Gamecocks Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs here on 107.5 The Game. Apologize. It's been a morning of it's been a little bit of a rough start this morning. A few technical difficulties here and there, but I am Tyler Head. That is Chris Clark and Wes Mitchell along with me for the next hour. And, uh, guys, it's been a very, very good weekend for Gamecocks across the board as you had the women picking up the win in the Sweet 16, getting ready for an Elite Eight game coming up tonight. But perhaps the most exciting thing over the weekend was uh, baseball picking up another series sweep this time over Missouri. Two of those in exciting fashion in Friday night's game and then the second game of a doubleheader on Saturday. Yeah, I think the Gamecock baseball fans I know are have kind of been sitting there. Maybe they're a little bit uh, hesitant to to dive into this thing and, and kind of be all in. And I, I think the Georgia series sweep kind of maybe let some people make the leap. But the, the people I talked to after this past weekend, they are like all in on this team at this point. Uh, I think... Um, you know, there, we talked about it last week. There's going to be ups. There's going to be downs. It's not going to just keep going like this. There will be some point this season where there's a little lull. But the more you see of this team, the more, I mean, I, I think you kind of confirm that they have what it takes for this to be a special season. You know, I, I don't think any of us thought they were going to hit the way they have this year. And I, I think we thought they could pitch. I think we thought they had depth. But they've had guys step up, uh, you know, everything from a transfer like uh, Casas to a freshman like Ethan Petrie. When you have sort of bigger seasons so far than maybe you would have put down on paper from those guys, along with the other players you were counting on, then, you know, that's when things can get special. And I, I think we're only seeing this pitching staff get even deeper. So, you know, it's a long, long season, but... I don't know. I'm I'm convinced. I'm not saying they're going to win the College World Series, but this feels like a team capable of getting to Omaha at this point. This team has something to it. Maybe that it factor that you can't really always um, measure or quantify or even qualify. They win games in so many different ways, you know. And and I know. Most people who are reasonable looked at that midweek loss to Charlotte and said, okay, you had a bad inning. The bats went cold for really one of the first times all season. That really hasn't happened at any point in any game. And you lost the midweek game. You know, it, it's going to happen. Again, we, we went over this last week. We went back and looked at the 2010-2011 South Carolina baseball teams that went to Omaha and won and had that incredible streak of NCAA tournament wins and two straight national titles. 
they lost some midweek games. They lost some series. And that's going to happen even this season. We've seen the midweek stumble against Charlotte. Wes, they probably are going to lose an SEC series. <laughs> I don't want to say for sure, but they might. You know, with especially with the schedule that they play, you look at who they match up against all year. But this team just has so many pieces to it, and they're just never out of a game. I mean, look at what happened this weekend. They come from, what, a four-run deficit down late in game one to win. Game two, they win going away, you know, eight to one. And then the last one, you know, they come back to tie it late and then take it to extras and and win. And and they just win in so many different ways. They can do it by, you know, dominating you, by hitting home runs, hitting for power, shutting you down with pitching. But they can also just scratch it out. And I I think you look at the depth of this lineup, one through nine, they have guys that can just hurt you in a variety of ways. They got guys that can run. They can hit for power. And then I think you, you nailed it with the pitching depth. They continue to get better and better there. And Friday was a perfect example of scratching it out because down eight to five with two outs, it was Denny single, French single, Braswell single that ended up bringing in all those runs to win the game. And one thing, you know, you, you have the great pitching staff, you have the great offense. Sometimes you also need a little bit of luck on your side too. And the situation that ended the game on Friday night where Cologne, the shortstop for Missouri, yeah, he was on his knees. But that's still usually a pretty routine throw. It's not like he was throwing all the way across the diamond. It was a short throw that would have been the force out there at third to um, get Denny. That throw just goes off the rails, get past, gets past third baseman. Denny goes on the score. When you look at teams that make deep postseason runs, it's those kind of little moments here and there that you say – just kind of the ball bounced their way, so to speak. And that's what good teams kind of need that luck on their side, too, in addition to playing well overall. Yeah, I mean, that, that's baseball for you, too. I mean, you can look at the game-winning hit, uh, game three of the series, game two of Saturday. I mean, he puts the ball in play. It, it sneaks through. You know, it's not necessarily the hardest hit ball in the world. But, uh, you know, I, I think that's what you see, though, with this team is they they actually – as many home runs as they hit, we've talked about this, as many home runs as they hit, they do know when to shorten up. They know when to just try to put the ball in play. And as we see in college baseball, that that does still mean something. You know, I think in, in the major leagues, teams are just so good defensively. You know, the bunt doesn't exist anymore because teams filled bunts all the time. South Carolina put itself in a first and third situation. Um, I think it put itself in a first and third situation by – a great bunt and just forcing Missouri to to execute defensively. And I, I think in college ball, you still you still can get by by just putting the ball in play at times. And I, I think the the beauty of it though is that this team can do both. And you know, I, I think part of the it factor for this team is just purely they are far more talented than they have been the last couple of years. And you know, I, I can recall some of these lineups in recent seasons you know, they had good players, but once you got past the middle of the order, there is a stark drop-off. And not that there isn't, there are, there's always going to be a drop-off at the end, but I, I think the, the length of this lineup and forcing pitchers to sort of fight you all the way up and down the order as opposed to there being a big let-up towards the end. I mean, how how is this for baseball? I mean, Evan Stone has zero career college home runs, and then he hits two in the same game. 
and actually almost had a third for the same day, uh, swinging the bat well. And I think if you get anything out of that guy offensively, he's already the best defensive center fielder on the team. So that could be right. another thing to track as something that could make this team, you know, help this team even get to the next level. But, man, it, it's been fun to watch. I, I know the fans out there are excited because if you grew up anywhere near sort of the timeline I did, I'm in my mid-30s, You, this is what you expect from South Carolina baseball is to compete in SEC play. And I, I know a lot of fans are just having a freaking blast right now. Yeah, it's one again, one through nine. I think you touched on it too, Wes. The everybody in the lineup scares you in some regard, you know, and, and I know some of the Gamecocks players have talked about this. Yes, you have power hitters who can take you yard really at any time. When when you look at you know, especially I'm thinking of Gavin Cassis, Ethan Petrie, got some other guys that certainly have that ability that maybe you know, you don't think of as often, but you know, Cole Messina and Lee Croy and Carson Hornig, they can take you deep too. Um, you've got guys that have kind of platooned a little bit or have played, been more of role players, but you see those flashes, you know, whether it's Stone with his defensive ability, his speed, and then, you know, maybe he's getting the bat going. That would certainly be a huge boost for the South Carolina team. You look at Will Tippett, who's a younger one, a younger player who's now stepped in. But man, the, the pitching depth. To go to that, Noah Hall has been so, so good. Um, you know, he's he's the game two starter. I think he, what, struck out 10 in seven innings, gave up one run. Statistically and just eyeball test, he's probably been, I mean, he's been the best starter on this team. There's probably not a probably about it anymore. I think he has been the best guy, which what a luxury that is on Saturday. That That's the game that they totally dominated. And that's the game where they totally shut down Missouri, you know, and they were able to, you know, they hit some homers, the two, the two stone home runs. Cassis had a really good day in, in game two. But it just shows you that depth. The arms that they're bringing in out of the bullpen, you bring James Hicks out of the bullpen, you know, to pitch several innings for you. And you bring in Matthew Becker. Guys that um, some of them, some of it is I think you, you have more talent, like Wes said, but part of that is, yes, some transfers that you brought in. Some of it is just some of these younger guys who maybe were forced into action last season and had to play a bigger role than, than you would have foreseen because of some of the injuries and just the youth of the team. They have taken that step forward and become now a much better player. And for Becker, who we saw twice over the course of the weekend in you know a 24-hour span, he goes out there on Friday night and has a pretty rough outing, you know, through one inning and gives up, uh, you know, two hits and two runs with no strikeouts. And then in Saturday's game, once you get into those extra innings and you need that extra arm, he goes out there, tosses three, only giving up two hits with no runs and five strikeouts. And I think that says a lot about the confidence that Kingston has in him individually to trust him after a rough outing to go in there in a crucial situation with tie game and extra innings and, and lean on him. And he was able to uh, step up and put in a good performance. Yeah, I mean, Petri obviously at the plate uh, was the determining factor in that game, but they they don't get there without Becker's performance. And, you know, he's been a little up and down in his career so far, but this is a kid who last year, as a true freshman, pitched a lot of high-leverage innings. And so the fact that you even still had him available at that point in the game and had gone through an entire series and ran pitcher after pitcher after pitcher out there, I mean, now Missouri – 
you talk about luck, Missouri had issues with injuries to their pitchers. So probably not an apples-to-apples comparison, but this sort of other side of that is Missouri literally has a center fielder who is pitching at that point, and you're able to go to a guy who has started weekend games for you in the past in that spot. And he came up huge, obviously. I love the leadership of uh, Colt Messina behind the plate. I mean, the guys sort of feed off of him. And even you look at just doing the little things right. Like, I I do think you need luck, but I I think when you do the little things right, luck will find you. And something as simple as in the moment doing making the right decision, one of our posters on Game Got Central and the Insiders Forum brought this up. But in that situation that Becker got out of, just to you have a fly ball to the outfield and it's sort of in what you would call like a triangle position where you have multiple defenders pursuing the ball and if you look if you go back and look Tippett is going back on that ball and he tries to actually camp under it and is is like throwing up his hands like I got it I got it for Petri to call him off as a freshman who is playing right field for the first time, I believe, in his life this season, he calls him off, and he really even, it was kind of a situation, the, that ball is hit, and I see Tippett in real time trying to call for the ball, and I'm like, no, he cannot catch that ball. If he catches that ball, Missouri is going to score. And then, I don't know if Evan Stone called him off too, because he looked like he was trying to call him off. Technically, that's Evan Stone's ball as a center fielder if he's calling everybody else off. But Petri, again, I don't know if Stone called him off or not. Petri calls off Tippett and basically takes command, catches the ball moving forward, which is what you're supposed to do on that play, right. and then is able to make a strong throw home, and that keeps the runner at third, which kept Missouri from being able to go up in extra innings. So right. that's one of those things you're taught that, your entire life if you play ball as far as who has um, priority, pop-up priority on those plays. But to do it in the moment, essentially with the game on the line, and to have the guts as a true freshman who's still learning that position out there to take command, I thought was just a key sort of thing you circle as, all right, this is a team doing the little things right. You mentioned Will Tippett. He's somebody that's going to be looked to Quite a bit going forward as the Gamecocks are going to be without one of their key pieces on offense for the next couple weeks. We'll talk about that next on the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs on 107.5 The Game. Presented by Firehouse Subs. Founded by Firemen with Chris Clark, Wes Mitchell, and Tyler Head on your home of the Gamecocks. 107.5 The Game. And back on the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour, presented by Firehouse Subs, Tyler West and Chris, along with you, and certainly Gamecock Baseball, certainly uh, hoping to continue rolling with the success that they've had so far in conference play, sweeping both series against Georgia and Missouri, but they're going to have to do it for the next couple weeks without one of their best players on offense, that being Will McGillis, one of three players in the double digits with home runs. He suffered a broken bone in one of his arms on um, Friday, expected to be out four to six weeks. That will include missing series against teams like LSU and Vanderbilt. Uh, the hope is that he will be back by the time the postseason rolls around. But when you look at this team from an offensive standpoint, he was the leadoff guy, very solid leadoff guy at that. Again, 10 home runs on the season. Wimmer comes in as the leadoff guy uh, for the rest of the weekend. I think he went one for 10. Um, 
you know, expected to maybe play around with that a little bit. Tippett's going to come in at second base more likely than not going forward, but it can't be understated how big of a loss this is from the offensive standpoint for the Gamecocks. Yeah, and you, you hate it for the for the player first and foremost, man. I mean, he, he really had a great start to the season. I don't know that he was your typical leadoff hitter, and I think if you were going to be really, really nitpicky about this team, what do they lack? What do you wish they kind of had? You'd probably say there is a lack of a traditional leadoff hitter among the guys in this lineup. Now, you know, it's 2023. You really don't the, – the leadoff hitter thing isn't a thing anymore, if you ask me. Like, I mean, Ronald Acuna Jr. is a leadoff hitter. Like, that tells you all you need to know. Like, you don't, yep. you don't have to have these traditional speedy get on base and bun him to second with the next guy. Like, that's not a thing anymore. But – I think they will certainly, I would imagine, I have no info, I would imagine they'll experiment with that. I think Carson Hornung may be the guy you look at. I don't know. I, I, to me, he, he's, uh, I know Colin had commented on this, like he's he's a much better hitter than maybe his numbers have indicated so far. Yeah, He has one of the smoothest swings, I think, on the team, just from what I see as a kind of gap-to-gap guy, not necessarily quite as much power as some of these other players so to me maybe you look at him i could see that being a spot based on matchups that gets shifted around quite a bit and and wimmer i mean wimmer can do it it's just uh this wasn't his best weekend sure but it it's a you know a 10 ab sample size it's not really anything you get too totally concerned about but yeah i, I mean again hate it for the hate it for mcgillis himself he had played a pretty good second base for them as well and Really, I think when you look at the success so far this season, he's another guy that you say, all right, he brought a power element to that lineup that maybe you weren't counting on coming into the season. So if you were sort of projecting what this team was going to be, you got 10 home runs from a guy who you maybe didn't expect it. Yeah, it is um, it is a big blow. Fortunately... There's a lot of really good hitters on this team. You know, and you want to be at full strength as much as possible. Like you said, Tyler, you're playing the likes of Vandy and LSU. I mean, top five teams. By the way, latest D1 baseball poll. Uh, Gamecocks are in the top ten for the first time since March 2017. LSU, number one. Other SEC teams in there. Florida at three. Vandy at four. Arkansas six, and then South Carolina nine, and Tennessee ten. Um, Tower the uh, poll that you referenced last week, I believe that was collegiate baseball, right? Yes, I or, think so. <clears throat> South Carolina number two in that one, right behind LSU, um, and Vandy at number six. Point is, you're playing some elite competition, and you want to be as full strength as possible to try to go win those series. Uh, but we've seen a lot of guys step up. I mean. Has there really been a player on this team, offensively, from an offensive standpoint, that you can say has not had the year that you would thought would have thought or has been disappointing? I feel like it's everybody on this roster, just about one to nine, has been what you thought or better. Is that fair? Is that an exaggeration? I think that's fair. Probably not. I mean, even with the power numbers of McGillis West, I mean, Gavin Cassis, like kid comes from Vandy, you know, you knew he could hit. But what he's done from a power standpoint is probably more than you expected. Ethan Petrie is probably the foremost example of this. He's a freshman, couldn't really hit in in preseason, 
and works closely with Monty Lee, and now he's absolutely tearing the cover off the ball. Yeah, and I think an example of them just doing a great job of getting a young guy ready and tweaking things without changing everything completely. And I mean, I, I didn't realize, because I don't really follow this stuff, honestly. I went back, I mean, Petri, extremely highly recruited guy, and they've done a fantastic job of letting him sort of just get out there and feel comfortable and to to hit as he has while also transitioning into right field. Like, I, I think people sometimes don't realize how much defense can affect your offense and vice versa. So that's been impressive. I mean, I would say, again, we're getting very nitpicky. Um, Hornick didn't necessarily have the start to the year you probably thought from him, but then, you know, had the big hit against Clemson. And, I mean, he's hitting 288 now. Caleb Denny, probably better than a 237 hitter, and I, I think that will turn around for him as well. But for the most part, they've had this entire lineup going. I, I know they will probably want to get a little bit more as far as offense from that center field spot. So I, I think, can can Evan Stone build on what he did this weekend? Mm-hmm. I mean, to me, if he if he gives you anything close to what he gave you this weekend, then that completely changes the dynamics there. And, you know, I wonder at second base, are they going to sort of say, all right, because Tippett has played center field and second base. Mm-hmm. And so now you sort of, if you're going to play him at second, that leaves Stone and Brewer as your main center fielders. One of the two is going to have to play well. They sort of seem to have gravitated towards Tippett in center field before the second base injury happened. I do wonder, hey, Braswell, again, He's come up with a couple of big knocks for you. Not that the ball against Missouri was incredibly hard hit, but um, do you look at him at second base potentially? Do you look at Tal Lecroy at second base and then play Braswell at third? Um, You know, I I think Braswell is more of a left side of the infield guy, but at the same time, y'all, if you can play SEC shortstop, you can play second base. It's really not that difficult of a transition, a guy as athletic as he is. So, I, I wouldn't be surprised if you don't see them sort of give a bunch of guys some looks there and see if somebody can't get hot and just kind of take over. Excuse me. Mentioned the LSU series a moment ago. That is not this weekend, but next weekend, Easter weekend, they'll be welcoming in the number one LSU Tigers. Have a pair of tickets to give away for the first game of that series. I'll take those, actually. Yeah, unfortunately, it doesn't work that way. Caller number five right now, 803 404 6,100 win tickets to game one against LSU that's next. That's a Thursday, by the way. That's a Thursday. Yes. That is a Thursday game, Thursday through Saturday, because it is Easter weekend. Next weekend, Thursday against LSU. Caller number five, 803-404-6100. The women's basketball team picks up a victory in the Sweet 16. Get ready for an Elite Eight game tonight. We'll talk about that next on the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour, presented by Firehouse Subs on 107.5 The Game. And welcome back into the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs, Tyler West and Chris, along with you. Congratulations to Trey, who won those tickets to the Game 1 against LSU next weekend. Again, that game on Thursday. I also have a pair for Friday and Saturday. Going to be giving those away over the course of today. Not right now, so don't call right now. Keep listening to 107.5 The Game for the rest of this show, through the halftime show as well, as we will be giving those tickets away throughout the the afternoon while you're waiting to potentially win those tickets you can enjoy delicious sub of the day 
Firehouse subs. You can, but Wes and I are both upset with Tyler right now because he's giving them all away. Yeah, just gloating about it almost. See, what I do, I go to the ticket (laughs) office and I just throw a bunch of money at them and gather as many tickets as I can. And then I'm like Santa Claus, just giving them out left and right. Man, that's nice for the listeners. We we have absolutely no shot at the tickets. That's okay, Mm -hmm. though. That's a conflict of interest. We can still get our sub, though. (laughs) Meatball Monday. Yeah. Firehousesubs.com. Good day for it. Rapid Rescue. And you can run in. They'll have it waiting on you on the shelf. You can add pepperoni if you want. That's what I do. Get you some of those uh, Harvest Cheddar Sun Chips. That's my go-to. Maybe a little sweet tea. Again, Firehousesubs.com. If you are standing in Columbia, South Carolina... You could throw a rock and probably hit a firehouse sub. So there is one near you no matter where you are here. And so just go get one for lunch. I promise you, you'll be happy. Over the weekend, the Gamecock women picked up a 59-43 victory over UCLA in the Sweet 16 up in Greenville. And they get set for a matchup against Maryland later on tonight in the Elite Eight for the chance to go to Houston and, correction, Dallas in the Final Four this upcoming weekend. And I thought the Sweet 16 game against UCLA was the perfect example of how much better South Carolina has gotten as the season has gone along. UCLA was obviously a team that tested them pretty well early on in the season. That was a game that the Bruins led at halftime. South Carolina had a big third quarter and ended up going on to the victory there. But this was a team that we pointed to when we saw this bracket as a potential rematch and the familiarity that they could give the Gamecocks trouble. That wasn't the case on Saturday. Gamecocks absolutely dominated. Don Staley mentioned after the game they weren't even playing their best offensively, but that aggressive defense and dominating on the glass didn't give UCLA a chance at all on Saturday. Yeah, I really felt like you watched this game. It never really felt in doubt, even if the score sort of fluctuated a little bit. It felt to me like South Carolina was in control, and that's the thing about this team. For one, they can attack you so many different ways if – They're playing a team that's a little more athletic. They can go smaller and quick. They can go bigger. They can dominate you defensively. And I I think that's ultimately why they're the best team in the country, why they're going to win it again, is that even if they are off offensively, they will just lock you down defensively. And, you know, I I think that game, like you said, was a perfect example. They continue to improve. They continue to get deeper, you know, in terms of getting – more and more girls off the bench who you're just like, who else could impact this team? And it feels like Bree Hall's role has has grown quite a bit down the stretch here as well. But you don't really know, is that is that more of a matchup thing? There might be somebody else we're not even thinking about who steps in, and this might be their night tonight. So I, I think that's the special thing about this program and about this team. I will lean on Chris Wellbaum, Chris Clark, he covers his stuff infinitely closer than we do. And I would just say the key to victory for Carolina, again, leaning on him, slow down Diamond Miller, who is Maryland's All-American. And if you go back and look at that 2020 class, all the girls other than South Carolina's, which obviously is this freshman class that leads this current team that all stayed together and they're now seniors, but all the girls who are juniors right now are from that 2020 class. And you look at Haley Van Lith, Caitlin Clark, Diamond Miller. You can go on and on. Uh, Camilla Cardoso was actually in that class as well. But all the girls who have been starring in the Elite Eight 
now going on to the Final Four, several of them are the top 10 players from that 2020 class on ESPNW. Yeah, and South Carolina did not see her. I actually haven't, have not seen her despite the annual series since 2019, and she didn't play in the game earlier this season. And, and it's different. <clears throat> you know, you talk to some people about this game coming up, and, ah, well, South Carolina beat them 81-56. to 56, No problem, right? But no Diamond Miller in that game. She is their best player, their most dangerous player. That was a game that I think was a six-point South Carolina lead at halftime. So it wasn't a runaway right off the bat. They pulled away in the third quarter, in the fourth quarter. I think the third quarter they outscored them by 13 points or so. And so they ended up building a, a big cushion in that quarter. But it's a different ball game with her. Um, she almost 20 points a game, almost you know six and a half rebounds, almost three assists a game. So she can do a little bit of everything. To your point, Wes, I'm glad you brought up Bree Hall. Watching the games the past few weeks, she's really kind of come into her own. She's a dangerous player. Um, for my money, and I don't know what the statistics say, but if if I need a three-pointer, aside from the Bree Beal, the patented Bree Beal corner three, I probably want Bree Hall shooting the ball. She's long. She can really run in transition. Defensively, she's got a lot of length and can bother people. So I think she's a huge key for this game. I think she's averaging, I don't know, eight points a game in the NCAA tournament. But still, she's been a, a critical part of this team as someone they can bring off the bench. And we, we know that Dawn Staley, when she finds a lineup in game, she's not going to be beholden to some rotation that's on a piece of paper. You know, if she, for instance, Kiara Fletcher starts, she brings in Raven Johnson She'll play Raven Johnson as long as she feels like it or as long as Raven Johnson dictates that she should be playing. So uh, Bree Hall, I think, is going to be very important in this game and then going forward if they can get this win. Yeah, and that game coming up tonight, tip-off at 7 o'clock. Pre-game coverage can be heard on 107.5. The game starting at 6.30, immediately following the Tommy Moody show where he looks at the University of South Carolina Athletic Hall of Fame. So don't, be sure to check that out. And should South Carolina win tonight, they will get the opportunity to take on Iowa and Caitlin Clark in the Final Four coming up this weekend. And Iowa is a team that uh, comes off a dominant win last night over Louisville, where Caitlin Clark once again shows out with 41 points. So we're on the cusp of potential Aaliyah Boston, uh, Caitlin Clark showdown in the Final Four. Should South Carolina get past uh, Maryland tonight? How excited are the ESPN execs <laughs> to possibly make that happen? That, that will probably, if Carolina takes care of business tonight, which I think they will, that will probably, I think, have a chance to break some records as far as viewership for this year. Normally, um, you know, you, you, don't get, you don't always get the perfect matchup that you're hoping for on paper. I think when the brackets came out, ESPN probably circled this one. Caitlin Clark, obviously very, very special. What she did yesterday, I mean, Chris and I were talking off air. If you, if you tuned in to that LSU Miami game before, you were you were like, "What am I watching? Mm-hmm. This is just this is bad basketball." If you tuned in to Louisville and Iowa, you were like, "These are two really good basketball teams that play a great brand of basketball that share the ball and uh, hit a lot of shots and get a lot of open looks." I, I mean, can't get too far ahead of ourselves. And we, of course, will have Chris Wellbaum 
breaking this game down like crazy if it's going to happen. But I'm already curious, can Caitlin Clark get her shot off as easily as she does while being locked down by South Carolina's suffocating defense? And two, who draws that assignment? You know, is, is, it, a, is it a situation where, you know, you put a Brie Bill on her even though she's a point guard? She's, a, she's taller than you think. Mm-hmm. I know the USF girl that was their star – South Carolina said, "No, we're putting our we're putting putting Zaya on her." So, but this will be a little bit different matchup. So, I'll, I'll be curious to see how South Carolina would would attack that. But again, Gamecocks got to take care of their side of it and get rid of Maryland tonight. Yeah, don't want to put the cart before the horse, but but it, we it, can talk about it. Yeah, we can. Because <laughs> man, that would be fun. And and look, I, I was reading some stuff last night during the Iowa game, and you know everybody's going to vouch for their players. So remember last year, Iowa's coach drew the ire of Gamecock fans for suggesting that Caitlin Clark was the player of the year, and Dawn Staley is always going to defend her team, right? As they so, both should. As they both should. And so Dawn even had to come out and say, guys, I'm not hating on Caitlin Clark. Like, she is an absolute stud. I'm going to, you know, I believe in Aaliyah Boston and, and all the things she can do. And But look, I mean, I don't think any unbiased observer – could go, that is absolutely preposterous to suggest that Caitlin Clark may be the best player in the country. The way, the size, like Wes said, her court vision, everybody talks about, like, the threes from the logo are cool. Yeah. That's cool. And that's rare, especially, to be quite frank, in women's basketball. You don't yeah. see that a lot. You only started seeing that in men's basketball. Steph Curry popularized it, right? Mm-hmm. Sure. You're seeing it now with Caitlin Clark. I think even more special than the ability to shoot the outside shot is her is her passing ability. It's it's like LeBron James-esque. Yeah. The way she can do that. Well, and I as I was watching the game last night, there okay, my thought was how do you even pick who's best between Aaliyah Boston and Caitlin Clark when they are completely different players? No carryover. Like that's that's like when you know when people will ask Chris or I, hey like Who's better? And it's like an offensive tackle and a safety. <laughs> it's like, well, how how do you even... They both play football. Right, but they, <laughs> the skill set, the size, the athleticism needed, the, ev- everything involved, other than the fact of you use the same vehicle to, to make it happen, which is putting a basketball on a hoop, everything's different. So I, I don't... Let, let's just... I don't know. Let's just appreciate that they are both incredible. And, I mean, I'm not going to lie. I'm really hoping <laughs> we get to see this matchup because I think we've been – it's been teased for a yeah. couple of years let's, now. Let's just do it. And here's the thing. Don Staley and Carolina do such a good job of scheduling top opponents. We, we get to see Carolina play Maryland even before tonight. We get to see them play UCLA. They play UConn every year now, just about. So this is not a matchup that we've seen. So I, I think it's okay if you're a fan to already be looking ahead and and kind of hopeful that that happens. And Iowa and LSU have already punched their tickets to the Final Four. South Carolina will look to do that tonight, taking on Maryland again. That game tips off at 7 o'clock. You can listen to it right here on 107.5. The game, the other Final Four matchup tonight being Virginia Tech and Ohio State. Who defeated UConn? 
in the Sweet 16, so there will be no rematch between Don Staley and Gino Ariema, or Ariema, at least for this season. We'll wrap up today's edition of the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour, presented by Firehouse Subs, right after this on 107.5 The Game. And back in on the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour, presented by Firehouse Subs, Tyler Wes and Chris along with you for a few more minutes. Halftime show coming up next with Jay and Terry. As always, we want to thank our friends over at Amy Mason Cup State Farm for being such a great partner for this show. Yeah, you should uh, check out Amy Mason Cup State Farm for all of your insurance needs. Give her a call or visit her website and try to learn about the Drive Safe and Save app all around the country. Drivers are downloading it, getting on State Farm's insurance so that they can drive safer and save. You can save up to 30% with the Drive Safe and Save app. And Amy Mason Cup's team at State Farm, they can give you anything you need from an insurance standpoint. Get a personalized quote on auto, renters, boat, life insurance, any kind of insurance needs that you may be able to dream up. Give her team a call or visit her website. It's amymasoncup.com. That's Amy, M-A-S-I-N-C-U-P-P.com. Her office is right down the road. 612 St. Andrews Road, that's right off I-26, St. Andrews Road, in Ashland Park Plaza, 612 St. Andrews Road, Suite 4 in Columbia. They're open Monday through Friday until 5 p.m., and you can give them a call at 803-772-5554. Again, that's Amy Mason Cup State Farm. Ask her about the Drive Safe and Save app, and ask her how you can switch and save on your insurance every month. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. You guys mentioned the offensive tackle position in that last segment there, and funny you should mention that because a offensive tackle that a lot of people have their eyes on in this state has finally set an announcement date for his commitment. Yeah, Blake Franks from Greenville. <clears throat> We've been Wes and I've been tracking this kind of behind the scenes. Um, he had one set behind the scenes last month too. Got kind of put off. Continued weighing South Carolina and Clemson, which had one time been the longtime leader for his services. But South Carolina's done a great job here. We'll get into that a little bit more. I've buried the lead terribly. Uh, it is March 31st in the afternoon is when he's going to announce that choice. Um, South Carolina West has put themselves in a really, really good position for Blake Franks. And it would be a come from behind win, really, on the recruiting trail. And... It's an important win. I also think it's a meaningful win because now you're starting to look at a trend of what South Carolina is doing on the offensive line in general, but also the blows that they're striking to their in-state rival, Clemson, after beating them this past season. Well, you look at last class and Marky Anderson, look at what they're doing, have a chance to do this class in the 2024 cycle. They've got a chance to basically sweep Clemson in-state for mutual recruiting targets. Yeah, I think two major things at play here. One is, like you said, sweeping their guys they want in state. And then two, Chris, just extending what I I think was the best on-paper class as far as the O-line goes in school history, at least as far as, you know, what you would call the rivals era when rankings really became a thing. And then the other side is just continuing that into this class. If you could, I I mean, you can pretty easily project i think at this point that south carolina obviously already has cam pringle they project to get josiah thompson the four star from dylan and now you would project them to get blake franks from greenville on friday as well chris i I think one that just gives you such a great start that's going to allow them to be very selective 
with whoever they want to take to finish out this class. Numbers are always fluid. I would expect them to probably try to take at least one more. If the right guy is out there, they're not going to turn down a fifth either. But to, to just have that trio for them all to be in-state, I mean, this is, we talked about it, this is probably the best in-state O-line class in the Palmetto State's, like, at least recent history since we've been covering it. So to get those three guys potentially, I would look at a guy like Mike Williams as far as out-of-state. He's at Flowers High School, which is the same spot they landed uh, Dez Zulu from this past recruiting cycle. I kind of circle him. I don't really have necessarily a feel for who else might be likely for a potential fourth or fifth spot, but Mike Williams is a guy I'm kind of focused on. And, man, you add him to that mix, and it's already a special class just with those three. You can kind of pick who you want, I think, for fourth or fifth. And if you you don't necessarily have to take our fourth and or fifth unless it's somebody that you really want. Yeah, and this should be music to Gamecock fans' ears, right? I mean, there's there's always, there's annually a lot of talk about the offensive line, what you're doing on the field, what you're doing in recruiting. You, you have to love this, right? Because you're bringing in, you're, you're winning on guys that have big offer lists. First of all, you're beating Clemson, but then when you look at, you know, and Blake Franks has Auburn offer, a bunch of other programs, primarily been Clemson and South Carolina. But Josiah Thompson, who's ranked, I think on three's got him top 20 in the country, which is five-star. You know, it will be five-star at the appropriate time if he stays there. Cam Pringle, who's a top 40, top 50 guy nationally. They have national-level, like, coast-to-coast offer lists. So you bring in a, a really good class last year, and you have a chance to stack another one this year. And like Wes said, you start in-state. Anytime you have prospects in-state that are really, really good, you got to count yourself fortunate, and you got to go land as many as possible. You look back at South Carolina's golden years under Steve Spurrier. That's what they were doing. They didn't get everybody, right, but they got a large percentage of the blue-chip guys, and they've got some on the offensive line in this cycle, and, and they're going out and getting them, which is a great sign. Now do it for today's edition of the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs. We'll dive a little bit more into recruiting tomorrow as it was a busy weekend for South Carolina. And some recruits here on campus will talk about that tomorrow. Halftime show with Jay and Terry coming up next right here on 107.5 The Game. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad... To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai.